I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Today, I have the honor of featuring who I think is one of the greatest CEOs of the modern era, and that's Frank Slootman. So Frank is the CEO and executive chairman of the technology company Snowflake, who at the time of this recording, his market cap is right around $85 billion with a B. And Frank was actually originally on episode 223 of the show, which was a really inspiring, fascinating conversation where we talk a lot about Frank's backstory. But what we do on this episode is we talk about his Amp It Up mentality and framework. And he actually has a new book based on this called Amp It Up, Leading for Hyper Growth by Raising Expectations increasing urgency and elevating intensity. I mean, you want to talk about someone who brings intensity. Frank is the embodiment of that. He is so inspiring. He is so smart. He is so articulate. He cuts through all the crap and gets to the heart of issues every single time. This is a ridiculously actionable episode, but one that's also going to inspire you as well. After our first conversation, I actually had dozens of Snowflake employees reach out to me to talk about what it's like working with Frank. And just the feedback was incredible. But but one of the pieces of feedback I received that I just loved was from one of the employees, and he said, Frank is the greatest leader I've ever been around by such a wide margin that it's laughable. Frank really is a tremendous leader. So if you're a leader, if you care about developing yourself and getting the most out of both yourself, your employees, and your company, you are going to love this conversation with Frank Slootman and talking about his new book, Amp It Up. After five plus years learning from hundreds of the world's most successful people, I've taken the most important practices and lessons and distilled them down into my online course called You Unleash, which is going to help you become the person you know you're capable of becoming. Now, You Unleash is going to help you break free of your old habits and excuses. It's going to eliminate your limiting beliefs and start taking action in ways that will actually get you results. Now, the course has a proven curriculum that has helped people just like you take action towards creating the life they've dreamed of. Well, now it's your turn. You Unleash, though, isn't a quick fix. It's not a magic pill. It doesn't involve empty promises or lofty goals. Instead, it's a roadmap to your true potential. So are you ready to eliminate those fears and become that fully unleashed version of yourself? If so, enroll now by clicking the link below or heading to whatgotyouthere.com. Hey guys, it's Sean, and I'm launching a new podcast called Momentum Minutes. Now, don't worry, what got you there isn't going anywhere. But after talking to countless listeners, the number one thing I kept hearing is you want more wisdom in less time. And that's why I'm launching the Momentum Minutes podcast, so you can hear the most important ideas I'm discovering in about a minute a day. Now, this is going to be the most impactful minute of your day, giving you the fuel, inspiration, and momentum you've been looking for. Now, after spending over five years 
interviewing over 300 of the world's most successful people and reading hundreds of books, I'm distilling down the best ideas and sharing them on this podcast. Think of this like you're sitting down with your wise mentor each day to get their timeless advice. Momentum Minutes is a daily podcast that is now available on all podcasting players, so click the link below or search Momentum Minutes in your favorite podcasting app and hit subscribe. And after listening to a couple episodes, let me know what you think by sending me an email to sean at whatgotyouthere.com. Frank, welcome back to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Doing great. Good to be back with you, Sean. Yeah, it's great to see you originally on episode 223. And we talked about so much about your past before. We're going to get a lot into your Amp It Up, Amp it up mindset and how you've run some of the most successful companies there are to date. But I would love to know, is there just a mindset of yours that if you could pass on to anyone starting out their career, you would love to give them? Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, a mindset is what it is. I mean, it's not a philosophy or a methodology. It's just, it is a state of mind. That's it's exactly what it is. And the state of mind is something that uh, it, it, it's always on, right? So every encounter, every message, every meeting, you know, it, it's like a filtered you know, a way you sort of perceive reality as it folds in front of you. But, you know, big advice that I, I give to people uh, that are starting out their careers or even people that are sort of within the first 10 years of their career, it's like, look, don't worry about the job. Don't worry about the title. Don't worry about the pay. Don't worry about the location. You know, you, you want to join a really good company. And the point is, I, I use this analogy of elevators, right? Some elevators go up, some go down, some don't move. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, once you stepped in the elevator, you've surrendered yourself to the fortunes or lack thereof, you know, of the elevator that you stepped into. So that job is not that important because jobs come and go. But that elevator, you know, has a long lasting impact. You know, that that choice is incredibly important. And uh, often people have that that priority reverse, you know, where they're focused on titles and pay and, and location and all these kinds of things. Whereas that's really not that important. When I look at a resume, I look at, you know, what choices did this person make? you know, over a period of time. And it, it says a lot, you know, when you see a sketchy, uh, you know, random walk, you know, resume, it just makes you question, you know, somebody's judgment, you know, and what their, you know, what their temperament really is, you know, about how they do things. So that's why I say, you know, the elevators are the critical choice. You step into a good elevator, man, you're going to look like a million bucks no matter, no matter what your, in, your individual merit might be. <laughs> well, I mean, you're speaking from experience, though. You, you mentioned those hard choices, right? Like you've actively taken on jobs that other people would have passed on because they were too difficult. The scenarios were too tough to, to take on. And so is that just yeah. something like this mindset you've always had ingrained in you? Well, I've uh, I've been in a lot of shitty businesses. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I, I have learned the hard way how hard it is, you know, to take something that is just inherently not good. I've taken on businesses that were at the they were already past the end of their productive life cycle. What do you do then, right? I mean, you cannot just sort of you know reboot a company and reinvent uh, you know all these kinds of things. I mean, now you're at a level of you know fundamental reinvention everything. You know, where the risk is 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 insanely high. And uh, you know, I had a conversation with the CEO of a very large software company, and he, he always looks at me with a puzzling, uh, you know, look on his face. And he goes, like, I can't figure you out. Do you just know how to pick them, or are you a really good CEO? <laughs> <laughs> I say, you know what? I need to be I need to be both, okay? Because if I am a really good CEO and I don't know how to pick them, I still end up, you know, with a mediocre outcome, okay? So that is the answer to that question. It's like being a card player. You need a good hand of cards, not just being a good card player, you know? 
Yeah, it's funny thinking about you being this almost enigma. So I I was like, what is behind Frank today, right? Like you've accomplished more than anyone could dream of in multiple lifetimes. And then I came across this line uh, in your new book, and today I'm less driven by career ambition than by a hunger for sport, action, excitement, teamwork, and a never-ending pursuit of self-improvement. I would love for you to just speak about that line, like that drive, a never-ending pursuit of self-improvement. How do you think about that? Well, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't want you to take that, you know, in, into a noble or idealist uh, type of manner. It's just it's it's a personal source of satisfaction when you become the best version of yourself. And, uh, you know, becoming the best version of yourself, you have to subject yourself to very trying circumstances, like an athlete, you know. Do you think you just become great by just showing up? <laughs> No, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to have to confront the gravest, you know, circumstances. That is what's going to, you know, steel sharpen steel, right? I mean, it's that that's how you become, you know, really, really strong. And I actually, you know, know more about this now because I was actually off for two years between 17 and 19. And I, I noticed that, you know, I, I suffered a level of atrophy because I was no longer, you know, in the heat of the fire, you know, on the firing line where your senses are just incredibly elevated, you know, and your reflexes are incredibly honed, you start losing that, you know, when you are no longer subjected, you know, to, to all these, these, these signals that you're getting when you're, when you're in a role like this. So that's what it is. It's just like a quarterback who you, you can't get them off the field because they're so damned addicted to, you know, the last two seconds throwing a long ball in the end zone. I know it's football season right now. So it's, it's a good analogy, right? I mean, how many times do you see these guys retire and they come back because they, they can't help themselves. You know, they they crave the action. Think about Brady. I mean, why now is he still on the field? Well, because he would miss it, you know? Oh, <laughs> he yeah. just would. Absolutely. Yeah. It's this, this never-ending thirst for excellence. Yeah, and, and yeah he will dread the day that he can't do it anymore, you yeah. know? I'm wondering for you, I mean, you're so far in your career right now. For you, when you think about that self-improvement, is it just being in the arena or are there things outside of being in the arena? Let's just call it like studying or trying to learn from other leaders that you do or is it more just like, nope, I'm jumping in the deep end and I'm going to learn to swim by experience? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, you know, attributed the book uh, to the man in the arena. Uh, it's the, the, the 1910 uh, speech by, uh, yeah, by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, it, it, I, I've known about that uh, speech for a very long time, and it really, really inspires me because there's a lot of people who have opinions on things that have commentaries on things and people that really don't build anything but kind of live of what other people are building. So it was always incredibly important to me. You know, I want to be the man in the arena. I didn't want to be the man that had an opinion about the man in the arena, right? And uh so that's that's really another aspect of this is like, look, I don't want to be, you know, a consultant. I don't want to be a uh, an investor. Of course, you know, we're all investors. We like to invest in companies and all of that. But, you know, fundamentally, those are passive roles. I want to have the active role, you know. Yeah, you, you even talk about that, like plenty of investors, right? Like they've got they've got this pattern matching experience, but so, so many times like they've never actually run a business. And so you've got to be careful of, of who you're listening to and those sources that, that are advising you in terms of how you should lead your company. That, that's why uh, the, the first book that we wrote, you know, Tape Sucks, this is it's not 12 years ago. Um, and people just understood that the content in that book came from what I call a fellow traveler. In other words, somebody who lived it over and over uh, for years and years and years. Um, so people, they, they, they read it very differently when it comes from a fellow traveler than, 
you know, some academic or some, you know, objective bystander who has an analysis about how the world works. Like, so there's a level of credibility and authenticity that you just can't get from anybody else other than a fellow traveler, somebody that has lived your exact life, the anxiety, the trials and tribulations, the terror, you know, all of it, you know. I'm wondering for you, as this major public company CEO, what what goes on the behind the scenes for you that most people just aren't aware of? Like, what's consuming your energy, your your thinking? Um, because there's so many things that you have to have a pulse on to run a company like Snowflake. Yeah, well, don't make yourself crazy, okay? Because yeah. if, if you want to run a you run a company and and you're running around with like a, with a, as a chicken with your head cut off, you're not going to last long, okay? So the first order of business is to, you know, A, get organized and B, you know, develop an incredible strong team. And when I say team, it's not just the people that directly report to me. The team just permeates, you know, throughout the entire company, you know, every country, every market uh, and so on. Because, you know, if, if I'm needed, you know, every second of the day, you know, we had a real problem. I actually run the company in such a way I can, I can be gone for six months and we would never miss a beat. That That's how I operate. That is my mindset. Uh, that also affords me then a level of luxury that I have people that are much better than I am, you know, at doing what they do. And that's the way it should be. Hell, if I'm the best at, at everything, we have a real problem, you know. So, um, but then, you know, I can also think much more, you know, strategically, much more abstract, much more high level, you know, rather than, you know, I'm buried so deep uh, into the details that, you know, I, I have no perspective left. Now, that said, you know, I traverse during the day from the highest level to the lowest levels. You know, I'm involved in individual transactions, individual customers. You know, dinner tonight with a with a big bank CEO. Um, so I, I do go, you know, the whole spectrum from the most granular <laughs> to the least granular. And I like that. That is one of the great things about a job. I mean, the, everything is, is my business and nothing is my business. So, you know, I can be anywhere. I show up in any country, in any meeting. Um, that's, that's what's so great about it is, you know, you can be like a free safety, you're all over the field, you know, tech, tackling the guy who comes for the secondary, you know, so. I love it. You, you pull on analogies from so many different domains. It's clear you've got such a great understanding. Uh, I'm really intrigued though. You mentioned just being that lateral abstract thinker CEO, which is much different than a functional executive. And, and I'm wondering for you, were you always like that or was there, did you almost have to cross this threshold of confidence in yourself to be to be that abstract lateral thinker CEO, or is that just something that from day one that's how you were, uh, that's how you operated? Yeah, that, I, that is the way I was from go. day one. <laughs> quite, quite honestly, I wasn't that good as a functional operator. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been a good engineer. I wouldn't have been a good finance guy, even though I'm dangerous in these fields because you know I was well educated and all those kinds of things. But I'm not a functional tunnel vision type of a person, you know, my, you know, I'm, I'm again, another, another football analogy, you know, I, I have peripheral vision. I look all over the field, up, down, sideways uh, on every vector. So that is, that is my natural inclination. That's just the way I am. Yeah. I'm wondering with that, are there things you'd recommend to other lateral thinking CEOs in terms of how they can be better just from that high level mindset perspective? Yeah, if you don't have it, you got to force yourself, uh, you know, into that mode of thinking and just expose yourself to content and people, you know, that are that way. And, uh, you know, so you need to seek it out. You know, the, the, the problem is often that people sort of gravitate towards, you know, where they're good, where they're comfortable, as opposed to where they need to be. And I often uh, have people ask me, what kind of a CEO are you? They want to stick a label on me. And the reality is, you know, I'm the CEO that the situation requires me to be. I always say that to my people. And by the way, that changes over time in the journey as well. 
She said, I become what I need to be at this juncture, at this company, at this moment uh, in time. So, you know, forget labels. There is no label because it will change, you know, and I, I just morph into, you know, what the, what the, what the situation dictates. Again, I use the word sim, uh, situational a lot because so much of what we do is situational, you know. It was funny. I, I had a high-level executive in the data space actually reach out to me. He knew you were coming back on, and he had a question kind of about, like, the future handling that. And I basically was just like, you don't understand. Like, he, Frank is so adaptable and flexible. It's like no matter what is going to come next, he's basically built the foundation and framework that he can move and evolve and adapt to that as opposed to those new situations that come at you. Most people just try to tackle the situation. It's like you get to the first principle of like, what do you need to handle any situation that comes your way? I just think that's such a crucial point uh, and the one that I really love. I, I just love like these foundational skill sets, mindsets that you've had over time. And I love this story in your book, actually talking about your dad, one of the days when you were a janitor. Um, do you know what story I'm talking about that really shaped your, your relentless drive for just betterment? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I, 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 got, I, I still remember that story. That's, that's why I wrote about it in the book, because that, that level of you know frustration uh, at, at a young age is very formative, right? <laughs> yeah, can you, can you just, I, I would love for you to tell the story and then how that shaped no, you. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was 16 years old uh, cleaning toilets in a, in a very large factory with like 1,000 people you know working there, and I would cycle through every toilet uh, between 9 to 5. And I had a supervisor, you know, a really ornery guy, um, you know, he would at five o'clock in the afternoon, he'd go, look at this bathroom over here. And, you know, I, I go like, yeah, I hit that at nine o'clock this morning. What do you think happens during the day? <laughs> you know? so, but, you know, I'm 16 years old, right? And I'm, I'm just almost incredulous that the guy would, would criticize me on that. So I get home that night and I say to my dad, you know, that guy's a real idiot. You know, I was, I was a real, I, I certainly had a way with words even back then in my own language, but yeah, I was like, yeah, those are the people you'll be working for if you don't get better grades, you know, and I'm like, God, that's a scary vision that those are the kinds of people I will be working for, you know, when I'm, you know, all grown up and out of the house. That's a nightmare scenario. And quite honestly, I talk about this in the book as well. You know, my career didn't really take off until I got my first CEO job. And, and I talk about the reasons why that is. And that's because my natural reflexes and instincts were exactly what people wanted from me. So it was a match for my natural uh, disposition and temperament. Whereas all the years that went before, you know, uh, people always felt they needed to negate my, my natural instincts and reflexes because I, I exerted too much ownership and I was too far out front. And, you know, peers didn't like it because, you know, I might have overstepped the bound here, there or everywhere. Um, so, you know, um, and I talk about the lack of empowerment for, for driver type personalities. It's, it's a huge problem. So when, when we hire drivers, I mean, my big thing is I'm going to unleash them. Okay. I'm going to let, I'm going to let them run wild, not, not to the level of dysfunction. You know, I always say, you know, we, you need wild ducks, but wild ducks also need to be able to fly information, right? That's another way of thinking about it. But you really have to empower strong people. That, that and by the way, that is what motivates them. You want to turn them loose rather than sort of put a tight box around them where they can only do so much. No, you, you want to fully maximize their potential, not limit it. We're definitely going to get into maximizing people's potential, which which is part of your your amp it up framework, which is obviously the, the title of your new book, which I think is ex exceptional. I, I really want to know about the evolution of this amp it up framework. So uh, we, we're talking about football. I know you're a huge admirer, like myself, of Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. The the thing I found really interesting about Pete Carroll 
is he actually really didn't start winning, and this is when he went to USC, until he developed his coaching philosophy, similar to your Amp It Up framework. And he actually got that because of John Wooden. And John Wooden didn't win a championship until he really sat down, contextualized his thinking. So I would love to know how the evolution of your Amp It Up framework took place. You know, it's a very good question, uh, and because I, I always have a word of uh, caution for people that say, "Look, I uh, I want to just follow you around for a week and, and see what you do," and I always tell people, "Don't try to be me. Do not try to be me. You need to become you. You know, whatever the best version of of, of you is, that is what you need to strive for." Hey guys, it's Sean, and you just heard Frank Slootman say that one of the most important things you need to do is to become the best version of you. And if you want a way to do that, to become a high achiever just like Frank, then check out my online personal development course called You Unleashed. Now, You Unleashed is going to bring you the clarity of what the best version of you looks like, and then I'm going to provide you the behaviors and exercises to help you unleash that best version of yourself. Now, if you want exclusive access to this 19-video lecture online course, then click the link below or head to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed for exclusive access. That's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. By the way, struggle is the most formative aspect of that. That is, that is how you become who you are meant to become. So that's why I always say embrace struggle because it, it's there for a reason. You need struggle because that's how you become the person that you need to become. And if you avoid uh, being close to the drive train, if you avoid, you know, being where the shit hits the fan, then you d- you're not developing, you're not learning, you're not becoming the, the person that that you're supposed to be. So uh, it, it's you you learn over time. And in, in my particular case, um, you know, I, I learned fairly early on that if you are insanely focused and driven and relentless about pursuing what you do, that everything will give way in the process. You know, once you figure that out, that, you know, that you cannot be stopped, you know, by sheer effort, determination, resourcing, focus, then you start applying it to everything. And all of a sudden, everything gives way. Over time, everything gives way. And these are personal sort of discoveries um, that all of a sudden become your MO because you're like, hell, I'm approaching everything that way because that works. You do what works. You stop doing what doesn't work, you know? Yeah. You mentioned you have to go through those challenging times. One of the funny things is there's all these people that are like, like ourselves, right? We're obsessed with growth and developing. And then these hard times come and we kind of shy away from them. And it's like, why the hell are you spending all this time working and developing these skills? It's like an athlete. It's like, there's 30 seconds left. Brady wants the ball every time because he spent his life developing these skills. Same thing, in the business arena. It's like when you've got a really challenging time, unleash the skills you've worked on. And that's just something you've embodied. And so we talk about the amp it up process. I would love to dive specifically into these. So the five steps in the amp it up process, raise your standards, align your people, sharpen your focus, pick up the pace, transform your strategy. I would love to start with raising your, your standards. And I know you admire Steve Jobs and, and he had that line, it's either insanely great or total shit. And I would just love to know for you as the leader, the CEO, what do you do instantaneously upon entering a new scenario where you just raise those standards, just like an overall step function improvement? Well, I mean, you know, whenever, you know, whatever the conversation is at hand, right? Um, first of all, I'm trying to determine, you know, do I like this? Do I not like this? But then I want to know, you know, what, what the group thinks or the person who is, you know, presenting something. What do you think? How excited are you? Why? You know? 
because um, it's 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 always like you know all of a sudden you know sometimes you find yourself in a conversation where everybody's kind of lukewarm to an idea. I'm like, as long as guys, as, as long as we're lukewarm, we're not going to do anything. Okay, you know, until we are bursting, you know, w- with excitement because we're going to conquer the world or some other insanely great you know vision of the world. You know, we we want to do things that get us out of bed in the morning. We want to do things that are that are insanely great, right? Because if not. You know, we're just dragging ourselves through the day, checking boxes, trying to get things off our desk, you know, being passable, which is the worst words in the English language, right? So I, I always have the standard of excitement, you know, enthusiasm. This is a, this is cool, right? As opposed to it's good enough or it's okay. You know, those, in other words, that, that, that passable standard is very, very common in, in organizations. You know, people are just kind of trying to do things that, that make them not fail, that make them not get fired as opposed to, no, you know, I want to reach for something special here. And by the way, that is cultural and that can be taught and it can be learned and it, it can it can become an attitude and a mindset that everybody can embrace because it's much more fun. It's much more energizing. It's, it's just how you want to be when you get through the day where, you know, it's just, you're just engaged. You're fully in the zone as opposed to, I'm just trying to get the hell out of here because I'm tired and I'm, I need to drink over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're not going to get into that like absolute zone flow state if you're just like you said operating lukewarm water until until it hits two to twelve degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that water's not going to boil. And I, so I, I guess I'm wondering, do you just see the majority of companies and leaders like their their standards are just way too low? Like they don't set inspiring enough visions for their people. Is that one of the the key things here then? Yeah, they're, they're trying to be respectable. They're trying to be safe. They're trying to, you know, not to get fired. I mean, one of the things I talk about in this book is this whole notion of incrementalism, which is sort of the, one of the worst things in the world where, you know, people are, they basically take the the, the, the current situation as a given and, and we're going to sort of inch our way forward, uh, you know, from that status quo. It's exhausting, right? Because, you know, what, what if we didn't have the status quo? What if there was nothing? Because there's people out there who think that way because they don't have anything. Right, they're they're trying to invent the future. By the way, that's what Snowflake did. They had nothing. They reimagined and redesigned, you know, the future of, of data operations and data management. Those people are incredibly dangerous, you know, as as now has been <laughs> well proven. Right. So why wouldn't we think that way? For, for forget what we already know, what we already do. We had a clean sheet of paper. What what would we do? And now now you get all the juices flowing, and you get the the engagement. Oh, I would do this, and, and then you can start working back to the present from your the future state that you just envisioned for yourself. That that leads to very very different outcomes, very different approaches, and and that that's really what you want. Incrementalism is like let's be two percent better than we were last year. I mean, it, it's just exhausting to even talk about it, you know? Yeah. You mentioned about like being able to see that future state. That's something you do extremely well. And you've said to me in the past, you said there's a huge gulf between the embryonic stage to, to where things are, to where they can become. And you seem to just be able to see those things in the future. Is, is there anything you've done over time just to see the potential, both in the companies you've involved with, but then also the people? I mean, you do a hell of a job accelerating people on their career growth. You know, the reality is, is that, this is people's natural state. They just have, you know, unlearned it somewhere along the way. And uh, so what you do is you, you, you sort of want to change their perspective and say, look, forget what you know, let's, let's go rethink. And uh, you know, once people get, you know, the pick up that scent, I mean, you can't shut them down anymore because, you know, they have that, that, that crazed look in their, in their eyes where they, they want to do something really insanely great. And, 
you know, now they're they're on a different plane, you know. <laughs> and and if you don't enable it and, and or empower it, then they're going to go somewhere else because you can't put them back in the box, you know. And you especially company uh, people that come from big companies, you know, they sort of want to replicate their mo from the prior company because that's their comfort zone, that's their comfort level. Uh, about however inappropriate that may be for the for the current conditions. I mean, I remember hiring people out of SAP many years ago, and they and we were a very small company, and then they wanted to implement, you know, SAP style programs. I'm like, you're not thinking. We're not SAP. You know, we're not even, we, we can't even hold a candle to SAP. Why on God's earth would you, you know, you know, act as if you were at SAP when you're at a company? In other words, again, everything is situational, right? I mean, there's there's an, there's an, appro- an appropriate way of doing things for companies in a certain situation, certain state of development, rather than I'm just going to mindlessly replicate what I did in my last job, you know? I'm wondering how you've such done such a good job in entering the scenarios and even let's call it when, when you came into Snowflake as, as the CEO and you've gotten everyone to to shift and maybe I'm wrong there, but you got everyone rowing in the exact same direction, which I just see as just such an incredibly impressive and monumental task. Like, is there something that you do differently, right? Because I don't know, I feel like this is one of those things where it seems so hard to teach and it's got to be an embodiment, but I'm wondering if like you coming in with a very few number of fellow employees who've been with you in the past, how do you get that, that tidal wave shift in the entire company? Well, uh, the most important thing is, um, you know, contrary to popular belief, I'm, I'm not a command and control guy. I'm yeah. not somebody that hands the tablets down the mountains. And I tell people, you do what I tell you or else. That that is absolutely not the way I operate. I'm a full-blown team collaborator uh, facilitator. So I bring people together. I mean, we are highly lateral and networked as opposed to, uh, you know, following an org chart. I mean, org chart almost doesn't exist uh, in our company. Uh, and that that is really important uh, because people really operate through influence, not through rank and title. Uh, we have to saying, you know, we, we always go direct. In other words, you know, when you want to do something, you find a person in whatever part of the organization where they live, and you just go directly to them. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you outrank them, underrank them, whether you're a peer, none of that matters. Okay. All those organizational, you know, constructs are, are there for a reason, but they don't matter. We are one giant team and we, we work in a fully networked manner. And people will engage with you to the extent that you have influence, that they think you are, you know, authoritative and impactful. And that's really what you want. You know, you want people to have influence who are impactful. You don't want people to have influence, you know, who just have a title. You know, that's the worst of all worlds, right? So uh, you need to test yourself. But an organization that is designed that way, I mean, they just look at you, not what it says on your business card, if you, even if you have one. They they listen to what you're what you're saying, and if that makes sense, you know you're going to agree, and you're going to go like, yeah, well, let's do this, right? That's a natural, you know, way of how organizations, uh, you know, function because you're helping us, collective us, be better. That's that's a value. We're going to embrace you, you know. So that's that's really how it works. And but you know, a lot of people that come into the company, they're not used to that. They've never learned that behavior, and they're reticent. They'd rather you know send an email to their manager hoping their manager might, I call it upper delegation, but <laughs> I say, there's no such thing, okay? Delegation is down, not up, you know? Um, but it's like, they're, they're nervous. They're like, yeah, you know, I'd rather, uh, you know, write an email to my to my manager and saddle him or her with, uh, with the issue, then I'm going straight forward, right? 
So you need to teach that behavior. And uh, I, every couple of months, I talk about going direct because there's so many new people they've never heard it. So I have to repeat myself. Guys, gals, this is how we do it here. We go direct. And if you can't make the case, in other words, if people don't think what you're saying makes sense, then you're losing the argument. Hell, I lose the argument often enough. And I, I don't mind. I need If I need to lose the argument, I better be losing the argument. Suppose I'm, I'm, I'm winning a lousy argument. That's, that's the worst of all scenarios, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the people who've seen what you've done, they would have assumed complete command and control, right? But no, you almost take that that Lao Tzu approach and power those others underneath you, right? Like the water's going to flow to them, and then they feel like they've completely done it themselves, and then they've been able to watch and replicate. And I think a lot of this gets built on trust. I, I know you put so much into trust. I'm wondering what you do well just to develop trust as soon as possible w- with the other people in your organization. Yeah, trust is the universal currency, right? Uh, it's what makes the world go around or not if, if, if it's missing. Um, things get very easy when there is trust and they get incredibly hard, you know, when, when there isn't. And uh, it, it's an underrated uh, thing, currency, quality, whatever uh, you want to call it. So you don't get trust. Uh, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay, you don't. You know, when I come into organizations, people are incredibly wary of me and then they don't trust me. Uh, they discount, you know, what I'm saying. But over time, you know, when you are true to the word and the things happen exactly as you said they would, the trust builds more and more and more and more to the point where they're going blind on your on what you're saying. They, they accept it and assume it's correct without even thinking about it because you have earned the trust, right? Um, but you have to be very careful about it. I, I remember in one of the first all hands meetings at Snowflake, you know, I, I tried to explain to people that through, you know, solid execution, focus, et cetera, you know, this company could be worth tenfold of what it was, uh, you know, at the time. I said at least tenfold. And, you know, it, it was, I was only uh, eight weeks in or whatever it was. And, you know, there were so many people who were like, yeah, whatever, 10x, you know. And, and I said within 12 to 18 months, I gave a time frame for it. So not, not only did we, we didn't just do, you know, 10x, we did like 30x, you know, in that, in that period of time. And I remember on the day of the IPO, I got emails from people saying, we didn't believe you that day. And I said, but not only did you do what you said, you did it like <laughs> several times over. <laughs> So what do you think that does to trust? All of a sudden, you know, what you say has a whole different meaning, you know, than what it did before when they were like, yeah, whatever, you know? Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things to be able to 30X, um, those expectations, they're obviously part of the framework as well is sharpen the focus. And I was recently spending some time with the, uh, the winningest uh, Olympic uh, winner medalist, uh, short track speed skating, Apollo Ono. And he was saying every single day, I got so focused and intentional in what I was trying to do that day. And I'm just wondering for you, like when, when you're talking to other executives, what can they do to narrow the focus, right? Like you're, sh- you're looking at three shiny objects. How do you narrow it down to just one? What do you do extremely well to be able to do that? Yeah. Well, that's really hard. And that's the whole point of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a laser can cut through steel. Why? Because of focus, right? Whereas, you know, if you diffuse the light, you know, it does nothing, Right. Um, they're very simple concepts. If you're a mile wide and an inch deep, you're going to you're going to be swimming, you know, in molasses, right? Swimming in glue um, is the most awful sensation when when you're just not making headway, and that happens because you know we're 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 spread too thin. It's human nature, by the way, to keep adding, adding, adding things. I always try to take things off people's plate, or I try to sequence it. 
Okay. In other words, okay, let, let's do this first and this last. I'm not taking it off your plate, but I'm changing the order, right? And you know, the question I always ask, I say, look, you know, let's let's do an exercise here. If if you could do only one thing for the rest of this year, let's say it's mid-year, if you could only do one thing, what, what, what would it be and why? Talk me through the what and the why, right? Because that most people never ask that question. But it's really important because you know, then then you know how to mass your 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 resources behind one thing. Well, the impact's going to be far greater than when you're massing the resources behind five things or ten things. I've been in numerous meetings with, with other CEOs and board meetings, and you know they put their priorities up, and there's like 15 of them. I'm like, you have none when you have 15, okay? Hmm. So you you got to really bring that back to you know what is the one thing, uh, not, not because you only will be doing one thing, but if it starts to clarify, you know what is really really important here, and uh, you know if 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 you get that wrong, then basically you're 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 wasting and diluting and misdirecting the resources of the enterprise. That's what you're doing. Okay, and your job is to do exactly not that. You know, you have to focus the resources the right way. Then you can move mountains. What I love about that question is just the power, right? Like you want better answers in life, you got to ask better questions. That's like one of those really extremely potent questions. You were talking about though that 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 one thing you're going to focus on. I, I think of that as strategy. And please correct me here if I'm wrong in any of this. And one of the things that you talk about is you want to focus first on execution as opposed to strategy. I would just love for you to talk about that because so much light gets shined on strategy, strategy, strategy. But you're kind of approaching this differently, thinking execution first. I'd love for you to just describe this. Yeah, you know, years ago, uh, Andy Grove, an Intel great, you know, he said no strategy is better than its execution, which pretty much summed up <laughs> what that means. In other words, your, your strategy is not worth a goddamn if you can't execute it, okay? Yeah. Um, so, and he, had, he had, by the way, that, that man had incredible ways of, of saying things, uh, sort of the John Madden effect, right? He had this incredible way of saying simple or complex things in, in, in very, very simple ways, but... You know, you, you can go far, uh, you know, with a mediocre strategy, but very, very strong execution. And and the reason is, if you're a good executor, you will also gradually become a better strategist yeah. because you can now distinguish between whether the, the sources of problems are strategic or execution operational, right? That's pretty damn important because what, what happens a lot in Silicon Valley is we always want to tweak the strategy. You know, we, we don't we don't give execution another thought, but we want to tweak the strategy at the drop of a hat because we you know execution is just you know something you do day to day and you know whatever you know. But but strategy that is the high minded parlor game that we all want to play. Oh, this company is doing that. Oh, that company is doing that, right? And people lose their nerve. They start tweaking and changing their strategy. You know, at the drop of a hat. That's how you lose. You know, um, you know one, one of the things that we did really well at Data Domain is we had a strategy and we never wavered from it over a seven-year period. I mean, we just relentlessly executed that strategy over and over and over. And, you know, in the end, we had 15x, you know, the, the, the exit outcome uh, than the next nearest player. We had a better outcome than all other players combined, right? So we focused on being insanely good executors and we trusted their strategy, right? That's exactly the opposite of what happens in most companies. They don't trust their strategy and they're constantly tweaking at it. And then, you know, the execution, you know, is, 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 is obviously flailing as well. I have numerous examples in the book as well about things we did differently that we trusted because we were not mindlessly doing what people had done before. You know, we were original thinkers. We were first principle thinkers. And that just served us incredibly well. But you need to learn to trust your strategy until you're such a good executor that you can really discern between strategy problems 
an execution problem. And I'll give you, a, you know, a very simple example. This is very, very common in Silicon Valley. Every time they have a sales problem, what do they do? You know, they fired a VP of sales and go and hire another one because you know the analysis has to be that there's a sales problem. Well, what if it's a product problem? Because most sales problems are product problems. That is just an absolute fact. There's a lack of product market fit, but they don't want to entertain that possibility. Why? Right? Don't call my baby ugly, you know? But, you know, intellectual honesty is, is is the first victim here, you know, being able to see things as they really are versus the way you'd like them to be. And of course, you know, founders don't like fingering the product because hell, they just convinced investors to put millions of dollars in. So I, I, how, how am I going to tell them that the product is not that good, right? So let's go hire another VP of sales. You know, that, that's really going to solve the problem, you know? So. Yeah, you can see how all the parts of these frameworks really work together, um, which is just so essential, so important. One of the things I'm always intrigued about, because, I mean, you just go so fast, right? Like, that you push, push, push. How, how do you balance between growing too fast as opposed to like not growing fast enough? I, I know this is like a nuanced, fine question. There's a lot of variables there. I'm just wondering how you think that through. Yeah, well, if I think back about everything I did and didn't do, um, you know, I've never overdone it, but I have underdone it many times. So basically the problem is, you know, I dare you to lean in harder, you know, and, and because most people just don't lean in far enough. You know, if you're really overdoing it, you'll know it, okay? Because there's signals and signs and everything that will will indicate that. I mean, there are when, when there, there are times where you're not ready to scale. I talk about these different stages, you know, of development: embryonic, you know, formative, and scale. You know, if if you're in a formative stage, you're not ready to scale, right? So you can blow a ton of resources, you know, at that stage, and they will not translate to yield. They will not because you simply you're too formative. You're not ready ready for scale. So there, depending on what what stage you're in, yeah, you can overdo, it. and that's typically what happens. I'm going to hire ten salespeople when I don't even know how to make one successful. That's incredibly stupid. Okay, so that you're in the formative stage. You're not ready, you know, to open the floodgates, right? But once you are ready to open the floodgates, then then people hold back. In other words, they have they have, they have the exact opposite reflex. You know, when they have to open the floodgate, they don't do it. They don't pivot. Right. And you have to pivot hard, you know, in all these different stages. Right. Once you got the recipe and the formula down and you have a repeatable system, holy cow, you pour on the resources like there's no tomorrow. Right. Uh, but the opposite is also true. Right. When you can't convert to yield. Yeah. Now, you, you, that's the whole point of you know, crossing the chasm, you know, is you have to get to the other side, you know, before you can really pour on the resources. So it's not mindless. There is not sort of a one size fits all. I just hire up a sales force and we'll be rich. No, it's a, it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that. Jeez. So, you know, there's, there, it's a bigger conversation is what I'm saying. It's very logical and common sense, you know, once you sort of, you know, uh, try it on for size. But, you know, again, you know, there's VCs around the table. They're in a hurry, you know, um, you know, let's pour them the resources. I mean, even when I joined Snowflake, I mean, the board was telling the, the management team, staff to a billion. I mean, <laughs> like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Staff to a billion? I mean, you can organize for a billion, but staffing to a billion, like you're just going to slam bodies, you know? I mean, by the way, and they were because they, they took it literally. Mm. Right? So you, you cannot take these simplistic, mindless, you know, ways of doing things. I'm just going to, and by the way, we were blowing, you know, huge amounts of money. We were 200 million negative, you know, uh, you know, when I joined, you know, uh, and it was unbelievable. And you look at the PL, it takes you 10 seconds to figure out this is a slob, fat pig, way too many resources, zero discipline, you know? 
man, Frank, every time we talk, I just, I literally do just get so amped up. It's clear why so many of your employees get so inspired by this. I know you've got George Washington there over your shoulder. Uh, last time in our last conversation, you mentioned him as an inspiration. Yeah. Who else for you? I, I know you mentioned Roosevelt as well. Is there anyone else that you've looked to over and over again as someone who's just like, man, that's the embodiment of someone who's searching for excellence within themselves? Yeah, I know we look at people. I, I also look at, you know, uh, enduring institutions. You know, for example, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Amazon, right? And they're a big partner of ours as well, huge partner. Um, but, you know, it was clear as day, you know, what Amazon was trying to do from day one. Just people just didn't understand it, didn't believe it, whatever the hell it was. But their their ability to commit themselves to a strategy for 20, 25 years was just unbelievable. And I, and by the way, you know, they have these concepts. They don't talk about it that much, but I just observe it from what they do. I mean, their whole game, because they, they, they're in businesses that are incredibly uh, commoditized, usually commoditized, right? So, you know, where's the value add in commoditized businesses? Well, you know, they, they take the friction, you know, out of everything and they, they understand how important the notion of friction is in the world of business. If you can take friction away, you can go very, very far. And they're very, very subtle things. You know, one click and it shows up two days later consistently, right? Who does that? Nobody did that ever, right? You know, the same thing. I mean, you could buy you could buy virtual machine minutes, you know, with a credit card. Take the friction away, right? I don't have to go get a purchase order and ask my manager, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm already exhausted just thinking about it, right? So this, and by the way, I talk about friction all the time. You know, that, that is, I have my filter out for friction in everything. And these are things I learned from, from observing what, what Amazon has done uh, over the years. There's other companies that, that also, you know, have done well. I'm a huge admirer of Apple. I've already said that. Because, um, you know, I mean, reinventing the world of music and all these things, it's all about the friction is gone. You know, I mean, I can just, you know, streaming music, what, a, what an insane invention. I'm, I'm, I'm so old, you know, I can remember where we had cassette tapes you know, we were we were copying, you know, content from the radio, right? I mean, you just can't even imagine how great things are, you know, compared to how they once were. You just can't. But they did. Talking about uh, removing the friction there, Frank, you, you guys listening to this uh, can just click or obviously go down to the transcript for Frank's new book, Amp It Up, Leading for Hyper Growth by Raising Expectations, Increasing Urgency, and Elevating Intensity. Uh, Frank, I, I really did enjoy this. You, you are so, so precise with your words. Uh, it's just like 100% signal, no noise in that book, which I think is great. Obviously, everything will be linked up. Anything you want the listeners to, to know about the book? I, I know we dove into a lot of these big principles. There's so much more in the book. Just want to make sure I open it up to you. You know, the, the important thing is that, you know, the book are not lessons, you know, it's not wisdom, you know, they're just our observations about, you know, our world and how we did things. I'm trying to answer the question that people ask us over and over again. What did you guys do? You know, because you, you have achieved extraordinary successes with different businesses at different, you know, time periods and different business models and different competitors, different technologies, right? I, I hate to lecture the world on this is what you should do. I'm not saying that you need to do, you need to become the best version of you, right? And there's there are certain timeless, you know, principles and observations and ways of thinking about situations, but it's not a prescription. You know, you cannot just read the book and like, okay, I throw the book away, I got it, you know, check, <laughs> we're done. It's much harder than that, unfortunately. But, you know, once you know, you know, how to approach, you know, situations, you're, you're, you're on your way to become a much better version than, than you would have been otherwise. And that's really what we, what we want for, uh, you know, for this whole process to be. No better place to end there. Frank, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. You bet. Good to see you, Sean. 
you guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.